It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We continue um, the study of Chot Shabbat. We're now in Shulchan Aruch, Ora Haim, Siman Resh Samich Aleph, 261, which speaks about the time of candle lighting. So we spoke a, a little bit about it last week, um, about the different opinions trying to determine Ben Hashemashot, um, <coughs> night, um, obviously at the time of the rabbis there was no such thing as creating a timetable with uh, exact uh, when the exact time minutes let alone seconds um, but today we have it so it's good to know that and, and to learn it in, you know, thoroughly in case of, uh, of doubt or need that uh Shkia is still sort of like the last frontier, the way we accept it, but uh, according to Rabbeinu Tam, maybe there's a possibility to extend it until uh, it's completely dark. Usually we rely on it only from, I mean, people follow it only from Motei Shabbat, but I believe that in case of emergency, that could be applied also at the beginning of Shabbat. Uh, and you see that as long as it's not total darkness, there's a, there's a still could be called Ben Hashemashot. There's a room to say that I'm not saying that it's a majority opinion, but like in extreme situations, not life threatening. If it's life threatening, nothing stands um, in its way. But just have in mind that um, one uh, interesting uh, item here. We're still in um, in Saif Aleph of Siman Resh Samech Aleph. Says Umutar Lomar Le Akum Ben Hashemashot Le Adlik Ner LeTzorich Shabbat V'Chen Lomar Lo Lasot. So you're allowed to say to a non-Jew during twilight, after sunset, before total darkness, to light a candle for you or anything that, even though it's forbidden on Shabbat and you already started Shabbat, but that's uh, it. It is your decision to start Shabbat a little earlier, so you, it's fine to say to tell the non-Jew to say that. Remember, we spoke about that that the whole prohibition to tell a non-Jew is a rabbinical prohibition, not a biblical one. And therefore, they allow you to, to do it in the uh, additional time frame, which they also added. Uh, also, someone who, who started Shabbat early, for whatever reason, and here it gives an example, even two hours before uh, nightfall, can tell other people who did not start Shabbat yet to light the candles and other things. Um, and other things that are necessary. Uh, there was an interesting debate in starting in the 70s or 80s in Yerushalayim. Uh, the minhag was to light candles 40 minutes before sunset. And in the rest of the country, it was 18 minutes before sunset. And uh, Rabbi Ovadeo Seven, he became the chief rabbi, was, he fought against this minhag because he argued that 
uh, people who accept Shabbat earlier unnecessarily think of others who start Shabbat later as uh, uh, transgressors of Shabbat. This, till today, you have two factions in Yerushalayim, some do 40 minutes before, some do 18 minutes before, but I know people who do, um, who start Shabbat so early that they finish uh, Kabbalah Shabbat, Arvit, and they come back home before candle lighting, even in the winter. So that's that's pretty extreme. But remember the Teshuvah of Tumat Adeshen that I mentioned of Mara Iselin, who says that in some places in Europe where uh, apparently the sun sunset was really late at night, the they would do the Tefillah, Kabbalah Shabbat, so early that uh, they would be able to do the Tefillah, go home, do Kiddush, eat, and then go for a walk by the river before nightfall, before sunset. So that's really like three, four hours before Shabbat starts. And he says that even the great rabbis would do that. But of course he opposes it, and eventually, because of his opposition and other uh, who joined him, that, that minhag was uh, uprooted. But it could, it could have helped. Um, I mean, I would have loved for my community here, where I'm a congregant at the moment, I'm not setting the times to uh, to start uh, tefillah in the uh, late Shabbat of the summer, much earlier, like even five thirty six, so you could eat uh, earlier and not at nine thirty uh, at night. Anyway, Seif Bet um, says Some say that you have to add from the secular time on the sacred time, and we do it anyway. That's all the calendars do it. Uh, so actually, from sunset till the end of twilight, that's already the the addition. So we add we add eighteen extra minutes. We are very very strict uh, with that. Um, Save Gimel takes us back to the uh, end of our previous class that uh, where we discussed the uh, the ambiguity in. Uh, uh, in, in the language of halakha, this is uh, this seif is a translation from the Aramaic. It's almost verbatim, but it's translation from the Aramaic in the Talmud to the Hebrew. He says, if you don't know exactly how to calculate the time between sunset and uh, twilight and nightfall, yadlik light the candles when the sun is still on uh, is seen on the t- top of the trees. So. I, I guess it doesn't matter if it's a sequoia tree or uh, or it's just a shrub. It's, it should be the same height. Uh, and then it says, if, if it's a cloudy day and you can't see the sun, when the roosters come to to nest and they sit on the on the on the fence, and if you are in the field and there are no roosters, uh, follow the the ravens and when they sit. Be, you know, to rest on the branches, then you could light. All these things are very ambiguous, obviously, because they had no ways to measure time. We are so much better uh, in that sense, but like I said, we fall into that trap of over-calculating. Uh, over-calculating. Um, this is a quote from the Gemara, and then the Shohan Aruch uh, Objects, sort of objects, in his, ma- you know, in his uh, a manner of writing that we spoke about before, where he leaves things open ended. So he says, the 
<coughs> official time for Kabbalah Shabbat is when you said Baruchu at Adonai Mevorach in the Bet Knesset. Once the Hazan said Baruchu and everybody answered, that's the beginning of Shabbat. Now, that is uh, a quote from the Gemara. But the Shohan Aruch says, Rabbi Yosef Karo, Ledidan have amirat mizmor shir leyom ha-Shabbat, ka'aniyat baruchu ledidu. For us, when you say mizmor shir leyom ha-Shabbat, this is Kabbalah Shabbat. So, uh, what, Rabbi Yosef, what Rabbi Karo is saying is a reflection of a later minhag that came after the Gemara. At the time of the Gemara, they did not say mizmor shir leyom ha-Shabbat be'arif Shabbat. Later on, people added the Mizmor Shir Leom HaShabbat as an introduction to Arvit. Why? Probably because they felt that Arvit is not uh, glorious enough to welcome Shabbat. I think that's the reason. Uh, we have to remember that at the time of the sages, at the time of the Mishnah, Arab Shabbat was a, almost a regular day. Friday night, I think I mentioned that before, and we'll see it definitely in the next Saif. Friday night, you'd come home from work. Sometimes people work till the last minute. Come home, plop on the bed and go to sleep. Maybe eat like a regular meal and something. There was no candle lighting, no set table or singing or anything like that. So the rabbis added that. And they added the elements in tefillah to make it a more festive prayer. So that was very nice. But after several generations, people said, wow, you know, Erev Shabbat, we light candles, we set the table, everything is so beautiful, but the tefillah is not fancy enough. We have to add something. So they added Mizmor Shir Leom Shabbat. And hundreds of years later, but already at the time of the Orav Yisaf Karo, Rabbi Shlomo El Kavetz added the beautiful piyut, Lechadudi Likrat Kala, which now has become standard in uh, all communities. So that's uh, the end of 261. We go to 262. The, uh, here we read this. So one should set the table and set the beds and get everything ready at home so you find it uh, clean and ready when you come home. Note that here is like almost a sense of equality uh, unlike other places where the halakha sometimes says that women have to do that. Here it says it's on it's on the men. He should set the table. He should set the bed. He should get the house ready for Shabbat. Um, that is based on a, a statement in the Gemara, which the tool brings. I'm going to share it with you. It's a and that's also the basis for uh, the reading of Malachi Sharet. <clears throat> Here's what the tool says. Amara Biyose Bar Yehuda, he quotes the Gemara. This is in Masechet Shabbat, Daf Kuv Mem Gimel. Shnei Malachi Asharet melavim lo leadam be'erev Shabbat ni betakneset lebeto. Two angels accompany uh, every person from the synagogue home. One is good, one is evil. When you come home and you find a lit candle and a set table and a set bed, the good angel says, may it be the same next Shabbat, and the evil one says, Amen, uh, against his will, and vice versa. If it's not ready, the evil one says, may it be the same next Shabbat, and the good one 
says uh, uh, amen against his will. So that was that uh, that midrash or that teaching of Rabbi Yisrael Bar Yehuda is the reason for the piyud that we sing on Kabbalah Shabbat. We say, welcome in peace, angels of peace. We want both of them to be angels of peace, good angels, and not, God forbid, evil angels. And here, there are different minhagim. Some say each verse three times. Some say once. Uh, some say, Baruchuni, bless me, in the personal. And then in the singular, some say, Baruchunu, bless us, in the plural. Um, and... Some minhagim, such as mine also, the Iraqi minhag, is not to say the phrase that starts, Betzetchem Shalom, when you leave, leave with peace, the angel of peace, because we don't want them to go away, we want them to stay. So we don't tell them that they have to leave. Um, but the reason, really, for the, I think the background for the Midrash, why Rabbi Yosef Bar Yudah had to speak with such language, is that it, this was not an easy thing for people to do. They were not used to it. Today we take it for granted that this is the, the most beautiful time of the week. Friday is winding down. You you turn everything off. You st- you come back from work. You, you get the house ready, the table ready. Singing, it's beautiful. But that was not the norm at the time of the Mishnah. So as an added measure to, to make sure that people will do it, Rabbi Yosef Bar Yudah presents this story about the angels who accompany you. And when you think of it in such a visual way, and you say, oh, I don't want this to happen next Shabbat, then uh, definitely you'll do it. <clears throat> but one comment, when they say, Yatsiya Amitot, one of the commentators said it, and this is the real, uh, probably true commentary, when they say, set the beds, they don't mean the beds to go to sleep on, but rather the beds around the table on which you're going to sit or recline. But you, because you're allowed, at the time people would recline, uh, not only on Pesach. Um, one more thing in the, that is from that Mishnah, from that Gemara, Rabbi Hanina, Me'atef Vekai Befanya Dema'ali Shabbat. Rabbi Hanina used to wrap himself with a beautiful garment on uh, Friday evening. Ve'omer, Bo Shabbat Malketa. Let us go out and welcome Shabbat the Queen. Rabbi Hanai Omer, Bo Ikala, Bo Ikala. Rabbi Anai says, uh, what he would say, Rabbi Anai used to say, boy kala, boy kala. This is uh, in, uh, in Perk Kol Kitvei, in Masechet Shabbat. Um, I think it's, it's uh, page 143 of Masechet Shabbat. The source of uh, of this uh, um, Gemara is uh, of the story is in Masechet Shabbat, Daf Kufyutet Amud Aleph, page one nineteen a, and that's that's where the Gemara also discuss discusses all the um, um, preparations for Shabbat. <coughs> we go back to the Shohan Aruch. Says Yishtadel Sheyulo Bgadim Naim LeShabbat. You should try to have nice clothes for Shabbat. And if you can't have it, at least pull your robe down. So this is like a completely different uh, world, you know, that from what we're used to. Uh, 
the, the, clothes have become so cheap today. You could buy, buy and throw. People didn't even think about that. But back in the day, you, people might have might have had only one robe. So he says, make sure that you have nice robes for Shabbat. And if you can't, use the same one. In another place it says that you have to try to wash it on Thursday so you have clean clothes for Shabbat. Like you, you wash clothes once a week. Um, what is this idea of pull it down? I think that it means that during the week, people who worked in the field or in construction or whatever used to roll their robes up to their knees so they don't get dirty uh, from the dust, from the ground. So on Shabbat he says, feel like a wealthy man, a wealthy person, allows himself to let the rope go all the way down. It doesn't care if it sweeps the floor because his floor is uh, speckless, it's, it's, it's uh, uh, shining. So this is just interesting, something to think uh, of of the, the way people lived back in the days. Now, we are so used to the comfort and the, and the abundance that we have today. Um, so back to Shohan Aruch, um, again, this is the source that we just saw, Boy Kala, Boy Kala, uh, and we'll go to, to Siman, Resa Mechgimel, Yehezair Lachsot Neriyafeh, make sure that you do a nice, uh, make a nice candle, some people light two candles, one corresponding to Zachor, one to Shamor, uh, some light more, my wife lights seven candles, uh, that's, as a minhag that she picked from my mother. Um, I don't know why my mother uh, lit seven candles, probably for the seven days of the week. So seven is a nice number. Um, and uh, this is really a beautiful uh, minhag that the rabbis established to welcome the Shabbat with light. The, uh, but the idea of having candles for Shabbat, the original idea was just to have light at home. You don't want to sit in the dark. Because if you didn't light candles, you didn't, uh, you just didn't have light. It was not romantic or, or holy or anything like that. Um, so, the the rabbis wanted to make sure that people do that, and they said, whether men or women, I mean, men who live alone, women who live alone, they all have to have a lit candle on Shabbat, and even if you have nothing to eat, afilu en lo mayuchal, shoel ala petahim. You have to go and collect charity. You have to buy oil and light the candle because this is Onik Shabbat. And I'm really wondering about this halacha. Why, why was it so important to the rab for the rabbis to say, go and ask for charity and light the candle for Shabbat? Because in other places they say, and the two, Rabbi Yaakov ben Rabbi Asher, struggles with that. <clears throat> it says, what, what is the definition of I don't have enough that will allow me or would force me to go and ask for charity? In other, in, in other places, the rabbi said, you should do whatever is within your power, just don't ask for charity. Right? They even said, uh, do something that is below your... Uh, uh, your your expertise or your honor, as long as you don't have to ask, just so you don't have to ask uh, for support from others. So why did they insist on this halacha? They also say it with Nech Hanukkah, but I think that with Nech Shabbat, the again since they were the one who established the idea that you have to light candles for Shabbat, 
I think that they understood that, you know, someone who is in dire circumstances, he says he barely has what to eat. He comes out of Shabbat, he goes home, and he says to himself, I'm so poor, I can't even afford to light an oil candle for Shabbat. And he goes to sleep feeling miserable and, and you know, in the darkness. Now the rabbi said, no, you have to get oil for Shabbat, even if it means that you have to ask for a favor. So he asks, he asks for a favor, but it's not, he's not asking for money to buy food, he's asking you to light a candle. It's less degrading. Now he lights the candle, he sits in the light, his window is lit just like all the other windows of all the people around him, he doesn't feel isolated. And then this, hopefully, will push and prompt him to work harder and to make sure that next Shabbat he also has food on the table that is his own. Um, so I think that is a Maybe the background of uh, of this halacha. Going back to the Shulchan Aruch, Hanashim uzarot boyoter mipnei shemetzuyot babayit veoskod betzochei habayit. It became more uh, more of a practice for the women to do it because they are the ones who take care of the uh, the household of preparing for Shabbat. The Shulchan Aruch doesn't mention it here. Uh, but the tool does. Um, I, I believe one second. And uh, that is something that is actually mentioned in the Mishnah, in uh, in um, the second chapter of Masechet Shabbat. It says, "Al shalosh averot nashim etod b'shaat l'datan al shenan zirot banida u'bchala u'adlakatanir." There are three causes. There are three things that cause women to die at birth because the, they're not careful with the laws of family purity and uh, separating halal when they bake and lighting the candle on Friday night. So it's a harsh midrash. It's, when you think of it, you say, here is the, a woman who's taking a risk and even today it's a, it's a very risky uh process, having a child, we take it for granted that everything goes well. It doesn't always go well. Go well. Um, and the rabbi said that it's because women are sinners, that, that every woman who died at birth maybe sinned on one of those things. Could we say it about uh, Rachel, Yaakov's wife? What is the source of this Midrash? So the Midrash says this, So, the the midrash says that the reason the women were given those three mitzvot is to atone for the sin of hava of the woman who who made adam eat from the forbidden fruit so i have my own interpretation on the forbidden fruit and if you want to i have lectures on it you can listen to the podcast uh, i don't think that it was between a man and a woman but rather a more of a symbolic representation of the powers within us. However, this is the way the Torah chose to tell the story. And the rabbis used it <coughs> to promote the idea of lighting candle uh, before Shabbat and also the mitzvot that they felt were uh, associated with women such as Nida and Hala. And they said the, uh, when the woman gave Adam the fruit and he ate it, she put out the candle of the world. 
Adam was the light, and she put him out, so now she has to rekindle the, the, the fire. And they say the same thing about Nida, they say she spilled the blood, so now she has to clean it. About uh, Hala, she spoiled the, the dough that had to be baked perfectly to become Adam, and now she has to fix it, but <clears throat> to me, the important point here is the uh, not the idea of reward and punishment, but rather the way in which the rabbis were able to elevate something which is so mundane. Lighting candles, yes, it is associated in many traditions with with uh, religious and holy activities, but in that case, they just wanted the woman, the woman or the men to have light at home for Shabbat. So, what did they do with this Midrash? And what they did is that instead of that act of lighting candle, candles being an isolated act in time and place that each individual does separately, they made it into one link in a chain that goes progressively from the creation of the world till the end of times to redemption. That is something that you know is called um, we could call it a myth, not 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 mythology, but a myth. It's a story that has roots in ancient times, even before the formation of humanity as we know it today. And what happens now? Every woman who lights candles, and if she thinks about that, she knows that story. She feels that she is now coming from a long chain of women who lit candles for Shabbat in order to bring the world to a better place, and she's adding another layer. So that makes this isolated act, instead of just her doing it here, she is connecting to all the women before her and after her, and all the women who are now uh, simultaneously with her lighting candles. So I think it's a beautiful thing. I could tell you that, maybe I mentioned it once in the class, but when my wife lights the candles, she takes a she takes her time, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes sometimes to do the tefillah. It's really a moment where you could create a temple in time. And this is a uh, a gift that the rabbis gave us with this halakha. Even, even if it was written in a way that is a bit um, um, harsh, that was the, the spirit of the day. And we have to have more positive attitude. I'm always preaching that. But I think the the positive thing that we get out of it is how the act was elevated from a solitary act to something that is connected to generations before and after. <clears throat> um, we'll take a little pause text. So we are um, in Safe Dalit of 263. Uh, the Shohana says, <laughs> It says, don't light the candles too early because then it's not clear that you light it uh, for Shabbat. The vegam lo yaher, and don't do it too late. So, but if you want to light the candles and uh, accept Shabbat on yourself immediately, you're allowed because that uh, that. Now it's clear, obviously, that you're doing it for Shabbat. But it gives you the limit. You can do it an hour and 15 minutes before uh, 
Some said that's when you could light the candles uh, and, and accept Shabbat. And when uh, when you say the Baracha, it says, Shadlikya Baracha Bukhata Hashem, Asher Kiddishan Svanlik Nechshel Shabbat. And here, oh, actually it says, Gambi Yom Tov, Tzayich Levarech Ner Shel Yom Tov. But that that's, doesn't appear in earlier sources. Uviyom HaKippurim Belo Shabbat, יש מי שאומר שלא יברך. When it's Yom Kippur and that is not on Shabbat, some say that you don't say the bracha because the, the light of the candles is only necessary uh, for the meal. You want to be able to eat uh, with light. So, just one second, I want to look at the next imam. So, if you look in the, uh, uh, the tool, doesn't mention the Baracha, right? The tool does not mention the Baracha. Okay, so let's go back to the, uh, to the Shohan Aruch. The Shohan Aruch goes on to say, um, the Ramah actually says, יש מי שאומר שמברכים קודם ההדלקה, ויש מי שאומר שמברך אחר ההדלקה. Some people say that you say the Baracha before you light the candles, some people say that you say the bracha after lighting the candles. Now, usually, with all the brachot, berchot mitzvot, there's a concept of over la'asiyato. So you do the bracha and then you uh, perform the mitzvah. So on Shabbat, that has created a problem for people because if you say the bracha and the bracha of uh, on the candles. Allah makes you uh, accept Shabbat. Now, if uh, how can you how can you light the candles? You're you're doing something that is forbidden. So the uh, the Sephardic minhag following Rabbi Yosef Karo was to light to first light and then say the bracha to avoid that problem. But many communities, uh, even among the Sephardim, such as the Iraqis would first light, would first say the bracha and then light the candles. And that became a source of a big uh, uh, dispute in Eretz Yisrael. Again, uh, Rabbi Avadia Yosef ignited it, uh, no pun intended, with, uh, when, when he insisted that everybody says, everybody should follow the Shulchan Aruch and first alight and, uh, and then say the bracha. And other rabbis uh, uh, objected, they say, how can you say the bracha after you already performed the mitzvah, and then people offered a solution, say the, the bracha for the candles, but have in mind that you're not Mekabel Shabbat until after you lit the candles. So this is really, uh, you know, we're dancing some kind of a, of a catch-22. It's obvious that even if you say, and that was the tradition we had, <clears throat> even if you say that when with lighting candles, you're Mekabel Shabbat, it is not done until you put the uh, the the candle or the match with which you lit the candles away. That should really have been the the understanding. So you say Baruch Hashem, Sher Kiddushan Tavtivam Lalik National Shabbat. You light all the candles, you put it aside, and now Shabbat starts for you. But uh, even those who say that you could say the Baruch first and light the candles were still nervous. They felt that this is part of one one continuous motion, but putting the 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 match or the candle, uh, putting it out, the one that you used to light, is too much. It's not part of the uh, of the uh, of the act. 
So they said, just put it aside and don't don't put it out. So uh, they maintain that. Yes, Yosef, you had a question? Yes? Yes. Um, it seems though from like what we just learned before about accepting Shabbat from Plag Mincha onwards. Yes. He said that as long as you, once you light the candles and then you accept Shabbat Miyad, uh-huh. that it's, like it's not, impl- it's implied that once you like, like lighting candles as an acceptance of Shabbat, that he had to write yeah, now you have to accept me. Right, to light it. right. It's you're right. The the uh, lighting the candles was not uh, was not automatically associated to Kabbalah Shabbat, and that's why in the previous seif, like you said, he says you have it. It has to be clear that you're lighting it in honor of Shabbat, even if you said the bracha. <coughs> so the idea of Asher kideshanu b'mitzvotav etzivanu ladik nechshel Shabbat was not Asher kideshanu b'mitzvotav etzivanu to to start Shabbat now, but rather I'm lighting the candle of Shabbat, so I will have onek Shabbat. That it was the 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 just idea of of the bracha. So, but once it became associated, completely associated, that became a problem. And uh, to that question about waving hands, it could be that it's connected to the idea of when exactly do does Shabbat start for you. So. Um, if you light the candles and then you cover your eyes and you remove them, it's as if now you're lighting the candles. So that solved the problem of uh, accepting Shabbat with lighting. So what you're doing actually, you say the bracha, you light the candles, covering your eye. When you cover your eye, you don't see the light. And when you remove them, that's when Shabbat starts for you. That's when the light of Shabbat is revealed. So I think that is really... uh, the beginning of Shabbat. So later on we'll see that the Shohan Aruch says that if you don't light the candles or you don't know when to light candles and you come to the synagogue, the uh, the communal prayer is the beginning of uh, of uh, Shabbat for you. But it's not Minha, it's Baruchu, which actually is the end of Minha. It's just the transition in in at that time from Minha to Baruchu. You basically finished Adonu Shabbat and you said Baruchu. But like I said, later on people added a lot of readings before uh, and a lot of uh, of other things. Shira Shirim, some communities, uh, is a break between between Minha uh, and Arvit. Okay, so now they go into a lot of uh, of details, which I'm not going to go into, of what happens if you. Uh, if you eat here and you and you light there, and so all these things really, uh, the questions of where do you light candles, where you eat, where you sleep, what happens if you light candles inside and then you go in eating outside, um, all these things are really uh, associated with the time where candles were the only light source at home. Today, the question was even raised whether you could say. Uh, the bracha, when you have electric light at home, you, have, you know, the, the house is flooded with light. So why are you saying, uh, uh, the, saying the bracha? And some people, because of that, had a custom of putting out lights, at least at the corner where they light the candles. But this is un, not really unnecessary. Um, however, I mean, it's unnecessary to put out the lights, but we could definitely rely on the light in, you know, around the house to not worry about where exactly the candles are placed, because now we understand that the uh, those candles we have to accept it have uh, morphed or transitioned from being something that was practical 
to something that is only symbolical. And it's okay, because now it's symbolism. It's not what it was 2,000 years ago. This is something that is cumulative over the years, thousands of years, really almost 2,000 years, that people have been doing that and associating it with the, with the sanctity of Shabbat gave those candles special status. So now it doesn't matter where you light them as long as you light them in honor of Shabbat. But yes, the custom is to light them at the place where you could see them while eating. And some communities, again, mine included, have the minhag of looking when you say the Kiddush, Baruch HaTashem, Elokeinu Melcholam, Borei Periyai Geffen, since the Geffen is abundance, and the light is the light that allows you to enjoy the abundance, when you say Borei Periyai Geffen, you look at the candles, and then also you look, you lock uh, eyes with all the people around the table. And I think it's a very nice minhag, it's the light of Shabbat, and uh, but I've been in, in households where the Kiddush is said very serenely, beautifully, but the, the Mekadesh, or you know, whoever says the Kiddush, has his, uh, his head in the cup with the concentration. But when you lift your eyes and you look everyone at, in the eye, it's really, if you feel this camaraderie around the table, and I think it's a very nice minhag. Um, uh, in Siman Yud Aleph, he says, Afal so one way to, to get Shabbat early without the candles is to pray Shabbat, even if the community did not pray yet. However, if the majority of the community already started Shabbat, the minority must follow. Now this really refers to a place where there's only one synagogue in town. And that uh, I'm saying that because I've uh, uh, I've witnessed in many different places. One of them, when I lived in Deal in New Jersey, which is a resort town, uh, in in the summer, the city swells from I don't know fifteen thousand to seventy thousand people. All the all the Brooklynites come down to to uh, to the shore points of New Jersey to be there for the summer. So as a result, you have you know, uh, dozens of synagogues all over town, and dozens of minyanim. Some stay, some start early, some start later. So there were those who argued that everybody must follow the earliest. You know, they they looked okay. I don't know. Someone actually bothered to do the calculation, and he said that the majority of the minyanim starts about let's say at six thirty. And then 25% of the Minyanim start at 7.30. And when the 6.30 people come out of shul, they see the 7.30 people driving to shul. And it's not Shabbat yet until 8. And they felt very uncomfortable with it. And they said, <clears throat> here the Shuhan Aruch says, They hear the majority of the townspeople started Shabbat early. So the minority must follow. The answer to that is no. It's not... It's one community, and that uh, that refers to the time where there was one community in town. If there are many different communities, each one uh, follows its way, and uh, it's advisable for people always to not judge others as transgressors. If you know the halacha, you understand, I decided to accept Shabbat early. I cannot call someone who did not do that. I cannot call him a transgressor. That would be 
ridiculous. Um, the Seif uh, Yudalit, interesting, says, I'm, I'm saying it just for, for the, again, the understanding of the Sitan life of the Halakha. So if it was cloudy and the community thought that it's already dark, they lit candles and they prayed Arvich Shabbat, and then the the clouds scattered and the sun is now shining. Do they have to do again Arvit or not? I mean, there are many details here that really are not important because this is not going to happen today. But just think of when we th- when 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 you see those charts with you know candle lighting at seven twenty two minutes and forty two three seconds. You say, hey, the Shohan speaks about a, 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 a case where. There was a mistake of, a, of, a, of an hour or two that people didn't realize that uh, it's night nighttime yet. Um, okay, we already spoke about that. So you could ask someone else to do work for you. Uh, okay, the next the next Saif uh, 264 speaks about the uh, the laws of which candles could be lit and and what what wicks can we use. Um, and that is something that we read in uh, the chapter of Likin, the second chapter of Masechet Shabbat. Really not applicable today because either you use the the paraffin or whatever uh, material is, or bee wax candles, or you use oil. So um, and all these halachot do not apply. The just the uh, the several rules that the halacha followed when when writing or the rabbis followed when they wrote this chapter is. They wanted to make sure that the, the candle burns brightly, that it doesn't sparkle or uh, or creates bad smell that will cause you to want to put it out. Uh, and one very interesting thing is they wanted to make sure that you're not going to take from the oil of the candle to put in your salad. I mean, this is not something that we will do today, but uh, at the time... They had uh, they had the receptacles for a candle with oil on one hand and on one side, like Aladdin's lamp, and the wick in the other. And uh, if they wanted to extend the life of the candle, they would put a, a hollow tube on top of the candle that would drip one drop at a time into the candle. It's like a timer. Uh, and the rabbi said this you cannot use on Shabbat because you might want to have a little oil on your bread and you'll put it under the 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 drip to soak your bread in oil. And we wouldn't do that today, right? Uh, we have very clear separation between the oil that we use for lighting and the oil that we use on our salad. But again, this is just something to have in mind how how times change. Um, the, okay, that 265 that I just mentioned, uh, Okay, so Siman 266 we'll discuss next time. This is about someone who travels and gets stuck on the way with stuff on him that is afraid to lose uh, or afraid to be stolen from him. And then the halachot of the tefillot. But with this, we will discuss all this next week, God willing. We're going to pause the recording now and have time for question and discussion. And Be'ezat uh, Hashem, as I said, we'll continue next week with Simanim 266 and on. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.